Hello everyone, my name is Molly Rowan Leach and I am your co-host with J. Kim Wright, ABA best-selling author of Lawyers as Peacemakers for this evolutionary Lawyers Teleseries. We were very pleased to have with us on Monday, January 9th, 2012, Len Sheff, attorney, author, and um, conveyor of wisdoms around the power of transforming our anger. We had a great conversation with him, and we hope you'll enjoy this archive. And for further information about other telecouncils and our guest speakers, as well as those archives that go with each of them, go to CuttingEdgeLaw.com. That's CuttingEdgeLaw.com. Thank you so much, and enjoy the archive. Good evening and welcome. This is Kim Wright, and you have uh, joined our our call for evolutionary lawyers. And uh, we're at a special time tonight. We're at 7 o'clock Eastern, 4 o'clock Pacific, um, which is different than our usual uh, Monday morning time. And uh, we are uh, pleased to have with us today uh, Lynn Sheff, uh, who we'll talk with uh, at some length in, um, in the next few minutes. And um, my co-host is Molly Rowan Leach. Molly, will you let people know how to participate, please? Yes, and uh, thank you, Kim, so much. I'm really pleased to be co-hosting this series with you. And just want to acknowledge your beautiful work in the world as an attorney and founder of Cutting Edge Law. Um, for those of you who are just joining us and who haven't before, in order to ask questions at any time throughout uh, tonight's call, you simply need to press 1 on your keypad, your telephone keypad. Now I know that some of you are also utilizing the participant dashboard. Um, if you have feedback or things, questions that you would like to ask but you don't really feel like speaking them, you also can use the feedback on the dashboard to post a message to me. And I will make sure if we have time and space to address that in that way. We really love it when, when you bring um, your voice into uh, the conversation too if you're comfortable doing so. And again, that's by pressing 1 on your telephone keypad. And also, you can find archives um, most recently from the Honorable Judge Peggy Hora and Arnold Patent. Um, we sent out uh, an email to the entire group with those audio links, and they're also posted or will be posted shortly at cuttingedgelaw.com as with this call as well. So uh, we really appreciate your great work in the world, everyone, and it's, it's always good to be with you. And as Kim noted, this is a special time, 4 o'clock Pacific instead of our normal 8 o'clock Pacific Monday timing. So thanks for being here. And Kim? Thanks. Thanks, Molly. So I'm pleased to bring you Lynn Sheff tonight. Lynn is a practicing lawyer in Tucson, Arizona. Um, he does transactional law and uh, has been a, tra a trial and transactional attorney for more than 50 years. And he is the author of, um, of a workshop series called Letting Go of Anger and um, a book that we're going to be talking about here tonight. Um, welcome, Lynn. Uh, what we usually 
start with is to ask you to tell us about your work as a lawyer. Did you uh, tell us a little bit about your history and you know uh, what you've been doing with those 50 years of law practice? And um, in particular, were you, did you have a sense of a calling to the law? So well, I, yeah, I knew from the time that I, I don't know, like six years or well. Uh, 10 years old that I wanted to be a lawyer, it seemed like uh, you got a lot of uh, power being a lawyer, and that appealed to me. I noticed how people got pushed around, so I wanted to have that knowledge. And um, and was that helpful in your career as a lawyer? Well, certainly. Um you know, I uh, always felt very protective of my clients and uh, when somebody's scamming them and stuff like that. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, I, I don't quite know how to answer your question, uh, but um, I always enjoyed being a lawyer, almost always. Well, and you were a trial lawyer for a good part of your yeah, career. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, over the years I've handled uh, quite a number of trials. And one of the things that you talk a lot about is anger. And as a trial lawyer, did you feel like anger was a helpful tool? Well, I did. Uh, I've described it as the tent pole holding up my circus tent. Um, It was really uh, silly the way that I used anger. Uh, I always heard uh, people discuss the fact that in the martial arts, when you get angry, you're more likely to lose. And I didn't know what that meant until I really uh, got into Zen Buddhism and uh, uh, heard anger described as a destructive emotion. And now that I have uh, largely overcome my anger, uh, it becomes perfectly clear a lot of the things uh, that I handled, I could have done a lot better if I weren't angry. Well, tell us about uh, what what led you to this path of being an expert on transforming anger. Well, in uh, 1992, I was asked by a group of uh, people whom I knew from the liberal community Uh, to do the legal work uh, for the purpose of bringing the Dalai Lama to Tucson. Uh, And I did that, and um, uh, I handled it uh, sufficiently well that they wanted to reward me, and they gave me the front row center seat uh, in an auditorium holding 1,600 people listening to the Dalai Lama. And uh, as he went on... um, I was astounded to hear him uh, say that anger is a destructive emotion. And I'm thinking to myself, ha-ha, if he thinks I'm giving up anger. Uh, But um, it was uh, sort of a difficult uh, three and a half days uh, because he would talk in Tibetan. He refuses, even though he's quite uh, literate, uh, fluent in English, he refuses to teach in uh, English. So he would talk for a while, and then his interpreter uh, would then interpret. So it was hard to stay focused. In any event, um, after uh, sitting there in pain, 
having somebody telling me to do something that I didn't want to do, it was finally over. I felt like having been given the best seat in the house, I couldn't just walk out. Otherwise, I might have. And uh, I was out driving the next night, and somebody pulled in front of me, uh, sort of close, not really dangerous, but I leaned on my horn in anger. Next thing that happened is he flipped me the finger uh, out of uh, his window, and I was thinking I ought to ram him. Maybe I should give him the finger back. Uh, Maybe I should scoot in front of him. And then it dawned on me, I just spent three and a half days in misery. I better uh, try try this stuff. And so my first thought is, um, what is it that's making me angry? And I realized I wanted respect from a total stranger. And um, that sort of amused me. And then I said, but he gave me the finger. And then it dawned on me that without me giving the finger meaning, it's meaningless. Maybe he was checking to see if it was raining. Who knows? But it takes two to uh, create a meaning for something like that. And I was laughing, and I realized how much better I felt than 30 seconds ago when I wanted to ram his car. So uh, I was hooked at that point, and I uh, reviewed the transcript of the Dalai Lama's teachings and started reading and so forth. And pretty soon, um, I I had changed pretty much my approach, although it's not easy to give up anger. It's a normal emotion. Um, The Dalai Lama even got angry once during the seminar, questions somebody had asked. Um, But, you know, I certainly learned not to act out of anger, either act on anger or act out of anger. And uh, things started improving. And I I sort of felt like I knew how to hypnotize people uh, because I was getting my way so much more often. And uh, it was just that I was not being offensive by being angry. Um, One of the things I discovered is that people don't like angry people. Any good trial lawyer should tell his client uh, that when uh, he or she is a witness, that the last thing you want to do is be angry. The jurors just don't like it. And uh, so things started improving, and I uh, became continually happier. And I realized I was on to something, and so I decided to uh, try and share this with people, and I started giving a seminar to the bar. And uh, it seemed to work pretty well because a great number of people had told me that I had changed their lives, that I had cured them of burnout and things like that. Um, And I I was sort of astounded uh, because uh, basically uh, nothing that I was sharing with these people uh, wasn't out there where they could get it themselves. So uh, I want to go back because you said even the Dalai Lama got angry during the right the seminar. You know, this flash of anger seems like a natural response, even biological. It is. Um, is it's there an off the, button? You know, <laughs> like, what do no, you do? There isn't. Um, it uh, comes from the amygdala, which is uh, commonly called the reptile part of the brain. The cerebral cortex, which is the reasonable part of the brain, the reasoning, is a much later development, and um, the amygdala signal is so powerful it just literally blots out 
um, reason. And so what you have to learn to do is create a space. Uh, when that flash is there, you're not going to overcome it otherwise. And what we do, uh, one suggestion is that a very basic thing is to ask the question uh, about what is it that I want? What is my unmet demand? And when you do that, um, you, you have suddenly created a pause and given uh, the amygdala time to dissipate some of that uh, power makes it easier. Um, I believe I write in the book that doing that immediately uh, uh, is 50% of overcoming anger. And we, we put a card in the back of the book, your emergency anger card, and it tells you what to do. Well, how is this different than anger management? Well, anger management, uh, there's a lot of psychological stuff in it. Uh, you know, was my mother cruel to me or my father uh, overwhelming or something like that? Um, and we don't do any of that. The, the deepest we get into your mind is what is my unmet demand. Uh, and the other thing is, is that generally the formulas you find in the various uh, anger management books maybe have 14 steps to them, and you just can't you just can't master that. But most importantly, um, this process, the Zen process, uh, overcoming anger, uh, turns it into compassion, whereas in uh, anger management, what they're telling you to do is to put your anger on a leash to control it. And it's like putting a uh, mad dog or a uh, angry dog or whatever on a leash thinking that he can't bite you. But the reality is he's still there and he can bite you or other people. So when you actually have the experience of transforming your anger into compassion, uh, it's a whole different world than anger management. It's not easy. It takes takes a lot of overcoming all, all of that conditioning in order to do that, but it can be done. In the book, we describe anger as a guest in your house that's been there so long you don't realize that you can get rid of him. Um, and so you finally find out you can get rid of him, and you boot him out. And the next thing you know, he's crawling in uh, through the window, or uh, if you leave the door open a bit, he'll he'll be in there. And uh, you have to boot him out over and over again. Uh, he will tell you that your life will go to hell uh, if you don't let him stay in your house, and uh, all of the arguments that the mind can make um, will well, be made. For example, for example the, um, some people would say that ang anger is helpful. Is that one of those? That, that, well, oh, of course. That it is? Um, yeah, I, I certainly had the belief that anger was helpful. But um, uh, I came to understand that the number of times when anger is actually uh, helpful uh, is you know, like winning the lottery. It's very rare. 
I was doing my seminar in San Francisco, and a uh, man was there who had been an architect on the rebuilding of the San Francisco City Hall after the big earthquake uh, about 15 years ago. And he said there was another architect there that uh, uh, we got in an argument about what's the best approach to take care of a particular problem. And we were so into it that we were yelling at each other and our voices were literally bouncing off of the the walls of the uh, city hall, the marble walls. And then we realized somehow that uh, each of us had a point and uh, we came up with a really brilliant solution that way. And he said, you see, anger um, can be helpful. And I didn't give him a very good reply. Uh, I said, you should have also gone out and bought a lottery ticket. Uh, that's almost like you're in a duel uh, with somebody. You've been angry and you agree to fight a duel. You both shoot at the same time and the bullets collide in midair. That's about <laughs> how likely it is that anger is helpful. So, Mrs. Um, Molly, I have a I have a quick question. May I? Um, Lynn, uh, it's twofold, um, and maybe it's not absolutely quick. But uh, anger does it have a message? And also, can you make friends with it? And is that the key to transforming into compassion? And then, secondly, could you um, just so let everyone know the title of the book that you're referring to? And maybe then we seg into that a little bit. Um, okay. And for those of you just arriving too, by the way, if you would like to make a question at any time, um, you press 1 on your telephone keypad. Thank you. Tell me the first part of your question about transforming anger into compassion. I missed a little of what you said. Okay, thank you. I, I'd, I'd like to know if you can make friends with your anger or and or does it have a message that it is that it's trying to bring you that will continue to visit you until you perhaps have made friends or have transformed it well uh, what we say in the uh, the book which is the title is the cow in the parking lot and we can talk about where that funny title comes from later um, is that uh, when you're angry, you're out of sync with the universe. Uh, it's a message that you're doing something wrong, and you, you need to look at where you are. The um, reason that you're out of sync is that in uh, Buddhism, uh, cause and effect uh, are a pretty rigid thing. Uh, so from the Big Bang to the swimming of amoeba in the slime and down to the dinosaurs, destruction of the dinosaurs, uh, discovery of America, et cetera, et cetera, to us talking on the phone right now is a rather rigid event. And so what's just happened to you, if you didn't like it, what you're doing is criticizing, uh, I believe they say, 14 billion years of the evolution of the universe. Uh, that doesn't mean that you can't do anything about it because you've won the cosmic lottery and have uh, human intelligence, which allows you to work by other than determinism or uh, 
pre prearranged patterns in your mind. But you have to, if you're angry, you're not going to use that. And so uh, it's terrifically important uh, to look at your anger as a message that you're out of sync with what's going on around you and you need to take a different approach. And the book that I'm referring to is The Cow in the Parking Lot, published by Workman Publications. Incidentally, it's out in seven languages now and coming out in three more. That's great. It, it has me wonder, what are what are the languages? Can you rattle them off or do you... Um, well, let me see. I've got, <laughs> I've got copies of the book here in my office and uh, German... Uh, there are two Portuguese versions, one for Portugal and one for Brazil, uh, Turkey, Czechoslovakia, uh, Holland, uh, Israel uh, for Hebrew, and uh, Spanish is coming out shortly. And there's some question as to whether it's coming out in Japanese or not but um, it will be out in 10 languages plus English. That's great, Lynn. Um, well, tell us about the title. Where did that come from? Well, the story is it's sort of a Zen parable that I made up. You're in a parking lot. Uh, it's opening day for a shopping center on the edge of town, and they're giving away a lot of stuff and good prices. So half the town is there. You've been looking for a parking place for 10 minutes. Finally, there it is, just ahead of you, a uh, backup set of backup lights come on. You turn on your turn signal and wait patiently, and as the car backs out and comes toward you, from the other direction, a Jeep spurts into the parking space. And when you honk, the young man gets out and smirks at you and goes running off into the shopping center. Are you angry? The answer for most people is yes, I'm angry. And uh, what do you want to do? I want to key his car or let the air out of his tires and so on. Now we change the facts, however, slightly. The backup lights come on, the car backs towards you, and from the other direction, a cow settles in the parking place. Remember I told you it was a new shopping center on the edge of town, and the reality is that cow has spent every afternoon there for who knows how long. Are you angry? For most people, the answer is no. They're amused. It'll be a neat story at the cocktail party uh, that weekend. So the question is, is there any difference? And the book tries to persuade you that there is no difference. So that's the origin of the title. <laughs> You, you talk a lot about Buddhism um, as, as the inspiration for this. How much of this is, is tied to Buddhism? Um, and I also hear neuroscience. So, well, um, go ahead. Well, go ahead. Uh, you know, sort of um, how much is one and how much is the other? And um, I know the Dalai Lama is very interested in neuroscience, so maybe it's uh, a question without a distinction. Well, the Dalai Lama, of course, is the leading Buddhist figure. Uh, people refer to him as a bodhisattva, which is about a notch below a Buddha. Uh, so, or notch below the Buddha. And um, the important thing that people need to understand is that 
virtually everything in this book is compatible with any religion, most any religion, I guess I should say. It makes a Christian a better Christian, a Jew a better Jew, a Hindu a better Hindu, an atheist a better person. So um, as you commented at the beginning, uh, this is about common sense. And uh, you'll see the simplicity of it. That was our mantra in writing it, simplicity. So does that cover what you wanted? It covers the Buddhism part, but I also heard you talking about neuroscience, and I know that that's part of your workshop because I've seen some of your slides. Is that also in the book? Yes, uh, but that, that just explains why it's so difficult to overcome anger. Um, it's it's a physiological fact that anger is a normal human emotion. And once you get into this, anger, you, your amygdala will go off less often. But when it does go off, you know to get some space between you and the anger impulse. And you certainly learn not to act out of the anger. So that if your book... Yeah, is your book for people who have anger issues? Well, it is primarily for people who have anger issues, but that's virtually everyone. There's an interesting thing that I've come across in the seminars. Um, they've been given largely for CLE credit, and uh, people are taking them that didn't think that they needed it, but it was convenient and it was ethics. And they've come up to me afterwards and said, you know, I'm, I'm really not an angry person, and I came to your seminar to get credit. Uh, but I realized, sitting there, that I've always had in the back of my mind, maybe I should be more angry. Maybe I'd get more of what I wanted, get my way more often. And I realized, uh, listening to you, that I'd been doing it right all along. And so I'm <laughs> very glad I uh, came. So you're talking about doing CLE. It seems like anger is an issue um, in the legal profession. It's in, in some ways it's the institutionalization of, of anger. If you're mad at someone, you sue them. Yeah, um, well, that's you... <laughs> certainly true. An old lawyer friend of mine told me when I was being practice, watch out for the angry client because he expects you to be angry too. Well, and so how do you deal with an angry client or how might a lawyer deal with an angry client um, looking at anger from the perspective that you offer? Well, I I must tell you that if the client uh, looks like an angry person and I try to lay out a reasonable course uh, and he or she rejects it, uh, that person is not very likely to become my client. Uh, might note uh, that sort of person that if uh, they don't get what they want, uh, the malpractice suit will follow. So uh, my, I, I, I become sensitive to angry people. There's a toxicity that I feel, and I try to avoid dealing with them when I can. That doesn't mean that somebody who has a really good case uh, and are really angry about what's done to them uh, isn't going to get my services. Uh, but it, it it is a filter uh, that uh, I have and that I've rejected cases uh, because of it. 
Oh, I certainly have also. Um, I want to make sure uh, we have a hand up. I was just going to say if you um, are listening and have a question, push the one and um, and jump in here. Um, Molly, can we um, open up a mic there? Yes, uh, go ahead, Sean, you're live. Great, thank you. Um, hi, Lynn. Uh, I find um, what you're talking about and the fact that as an attorney you've taken this on, especially given your experience and history and all of that, just very, very, very inspiring. Um, a question I have about the last thing you said. So if you have a client that comes to you that's angry um, and you decide to take them and accept them, do you ever work with them while they're your client to help them transform their anger? And if so, what kinds of things do you do with them? Well, I can give you a really specific example. A, a doctor who happened to be a surgeon came to me, and he had bought a very expensive lot, an exclusive subdivision uh, in Tucson, but wasn't intending to build on it right away. And a couple of years went by, and when he went up to visit the lot, he discovered that a developer had sold the lot next to him uh, to some uh, really wealthy guy. And they had recut his driveway, so instead of being like an 18% driveway, I believe it became a 38% driveway, which you can imagine is not very good. They even trespassed on his property. And so we, uh, he, was, he was outraged, and I didn't blame him. I mean, he had been trespassed upon, literally. Uh, but I knew him, and I knew that he was you know, basically a rational person, but we sued and we got an injunction against them going further with the lot next door. Then they offered us uh, to buy the lot back plus 10% interest plus pay our attorney's fees. And um, I presented it to him and I said, this is you know, really what you want. You can take the money and buy another lot here or in another subdivision. Uh, probably uh, end up doing better. Uh, and he said, no, I want him to suffer. And so I uh, let it go for a while, and then I got him in again, and I said, I talked to them, and in addition to the money and buying a lot back, um, the young man that was the head of this project next door to you has agreed that you can slug him on the chin as hard as you want to. And he <laughs> looked at me wide-eyed, and he said, really? I said, yeah. He says, okay, I'll take the deal. And I said, but, you know, wait a minute, you're a surgeon, and after you slug him on the chin, you may not be using that hand uh, for months or who knows how long. And he sat back and he looked at me and he thought, and he said, take the money. So I gave him a demonstration of the price of anger. Anger, oh. acting out anger is never free. We have a whole chapter on that. Well, and Lynn, I recall some stories in our conversation. I, I think that your uh, personal life was impacted by your dealing with your anger. Is, is that something that you could talk about? Yeah, my wife and I were on the edge of a divorce. She had actually retained counsel. And uh, this was at the time of the Dalai Lama's teachings, and I went to that. And then I did a five-day meditation retreat and came out. And she uh, was sensitive enough to realize that 
my outlook on the world had changed, and pretty soon uh, we became not only husband and wife, but good friends again. So, I always like hearing you tell that. I wasn't sure if it was Republic, but um, it was. No, it's my in the heart. book. I oh, refer to okay. it as a rocky patch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've actually, I, I apologize. I don't have your book here. I read it some time ago and uh, and shipped it to myself, um, and um, the post office lost it, which I could have gotten angry about, but I figured that there must be some reason about that. Well, um, you understand that somebody has taken the book now and read it and is no longer angry, and so you've benefited the world by losing the book. Well, and, and, and how perfect, because the next thing I was going to ask you is about, um, I mean, the, there's that expression about going postal, and yes. I've been reading a lot lately about how things are escalating, that conflict is escalating, that people who do high-conflict work uh, have a lot of evidence that that people are getting angrier and angrier, and I wonder if you have observed that and um, whether you have anything to say about that. Well, two things. First of all, Stephen Pink, or Pincus, has come out with a book uh, just published a month ago, suggesting that the amount of violence in the world has gone down. And I'm looking forward to reading that uh, because I would have thought what you just said, and hopefully he's right. However, uh, you have to distinguish you know, going postal is rage, and rage is a step beyond anger. You have anger, then you have hatred, which is ossified anger. And then you have rage. And my brother, who's a social psychologist, told me that rage is anger plus. It has to be uh, anger plus fear, anger plus shame, uh, in order for a person really to become violent. And a great example of that is a person who might think uh, that his masculinity is not quite what it should be and is terribly ashamed of the fact that he might have some gay impulses um, if he gets approached uh, by a man, uh, he may end up beating him up because uh, this has, he's angry because the person perceived that he might be available, and he's ashamed uh, because it shows. That, that's an example, and uh, this book and this approach uh, might do something uh, for somebody with rage, but I really don't think that it would be the approach. And uh, we have uh, some uh, writing about hatred, uh, how it becomes ossified, anger, irrational, um, and it doesn't change no matter what the facts are. So um, the answer to your question is the post office is going to have to deal with that one on its own. <laughs> Dorothy has her hand up. Molly, can we get Dorothy in here? Uh, can you hear me okay? Yep, we got you. <laughs> are you I have a big swimming in the background. Yeah, are you calling <clears throat> in Kansas, Dorothy? Well, no, that was in a previous life. Okay. I no longer wear my red shoes every place I go, but thank you for asking. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, I, well, I got two questions. One is, um, 
there's a kind of physiological addiction that goes with anger, I, I suspect, and that I see people that are rageaholics that feed their rage in order to get themselves kind of geared up in order to be able to function, and I'm wondering if that was the way you would have described yourself from back before you had your insights and your 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 switch. But And the other thing is that there's a kind of a psychological theory floating around out there that it's better to express yourself fully and let your anger, you know, express your anger rather than suppressing it. I personally don't like that theory, but I wanted to see um, what you had to say about it. I can guess, but that's one of the things that's kind of floating around out in the culture. Okay. What was the first part of your question? Uh, you, about you an oh, addiction uh, Is it, is it addictive? No, like, yes, yeah, it, it uh -huh. is addictive. Uh, the Buddha um, said in one of the sutras that anger, with its honey, with its uh, honey crest and its poisonous root, and that's referring to the fact that you you get addicted to the the high of anger, the adrenaline release, and so on and so forth, and. Um, uh, so the answer is yes, I was addicted. Um, it's like the Buddy Hackett story about uh, horseradish. He said when he was Jewish, growing up in a Jewish home, they had horseradish with every meal. And as a result, he always had heartburn. When he went in the Army and there was no horseradish and he didn't have heartburn, he thought he was dead. The flame went out. And uh, anger was definitely my flame uh, that I was attached to. Then the second part of your question about it's better to let it out and express it, Thich Nhat Hanh pretty well nailed that one. He was talking about the gestalt technique where you use a rubber mallet and you whack on a pillow or somebody else or something like that, yelling whatever it is you're working on, mother, I hate you, father, uh, go to hell, and keep whacking it. And he said uh, uh, letting out anger in that uh, way is a rehearsal to uh, express your anger violently. And to the extent that somebody tells you it's good to express your anger, what they're doing is depriving you of the opportunity to uh, transform that anger into compassion. Because everybody will applaud in the uh, therapy group uh, when you when you let your anger uh, go rushing out and you expect the same applause in everyday life and so you have to forego that pleasure if you really don't want to be addicted to anger and want to be able to convert it into compassion I tell you the first time it really happens that your anger gets uh, changed into compassion, transformed into compassion, it's a real high. I mean, it, it's quite an experience. So the young man that stole your parking space, if you understand that he's got a pretty miserable life, if that's the way he uh, treats a total stranger and that uh, he's uh, probably wondering why the world is so down on him and he hasn't a clue, and then you... Uh, Think to yourself, I'm glad he got the parking space. Maybe he had a moment of happiness. It's a good moment. Well, um, just as a 
Am I still am I still unmuted? Yep. Yeah, I've noticed, and I don't know if this is a useful thing to contribute, but I've noticed that uh, there's a lot of thought patterns that are, seem to be what? addictive. A lot of kind of habitual patterns that seem to be addictive in my own life. I, I notice as I'm getting ready for bed that I kind of rehearsed in my mind all the bad things that happened today that I'm going to tell my husband. <laughs> you know, I like give him an update about the floods and the earthquakes, you know, from yeah. the evening news I've been watching. Yeah. And also uh, a thing about self-invalidating thoughts, like collecting them as evidence for something and uh, kind of nursing them. I'm just wondering if, like, um, I'm wondering if all of our thoughts that are unmonitored un, uh, are floating around uh, as a result of patterns of addiction that, golly, I mean, they're everywhere. It's not well, just anger, everything. Yeah. And generally negative, generally survival-based negative um, thought patterns. Well, uh, I think you're a little bit outside the uh, the book uh, on that. We we do have a chapter that begins with St. Francis saying that uh, giving is receiving. And... Um, and there's a Zen koan that the great way is easy. All you have to do is avoid picking and choosing. And I, I think you you would need to look at a broader uh, view of Buddhism, uh, which uh, one of my teachers, John Tarrant Roshi, described as the technology of happiness. And to the extent that you make a point of listing all the bad things that happen in the world today, I think you're doing uh, what I do. I, sometimes people ask me to summarize my book, and my summary is you're hitting your hand with a hammer, and if you quit, you'll feel better. So, um, hey, have you ever done meditation? Yeah, uh-huh. My brothers and sisters are all Tibetan Buddhists. I'm not, but I'm I'm kind of steeped in those conversations. Yeah, well... It, you can't read about meditation, you have to do it. And it's not an instant cure by any means. But it might uh, give you increased ability uh, to keep your mind uh, from uh, doing those things to you. Okay. Meditation is not a mystical process. It's a matter of uh, being able to have focused concentration and uh, to uh, be able to sit still without entertainment. Well, there, there are also distinctions that come out of a meditative approach, which um, can be talked about um, separate and apart from the actual meditation. But go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. That That's... Maybe no, a that's bit about a, all I have uh, to say is that your your approach here, um, I, I think it would be helpful for you to uh, take a look at a broader aspect of Buddhism. The, the anger thing is only uh, one chapter out of many in uh, Buddhism. And uh, the end game of Buddhism is happiness. So if you're happy the way you are, then forget what I said. But if you would like to uh, 
do things differently. Uh, that's one thing you could look at. Steve Hagen wrote a wonderful book, uh, Buddhism Pure and Simple. It's a good place to start. Nancy has had her hand up for a little while. Okay, Nancy. Um, I um, Here's my question. I'm sorry I had to take you off mute. Can you hear me? I yes, can please. hear you. Okay. Um, ang- uh, did you define anger yet? Did, did I what? Define it. I'm not catching that last word. Hold on. Define it. What's the definition of anger? Is that no. Yeah, have you defined it yet? Or yes, did I anger. Well, anger is the natural uh, thing that comes from the amygdala, but the cause of anger in our in the book is very simple. It's uh, when you have an unmet demand. You forgot um, my birthday, I'm unhappy, you're not paying me what I'm worth, I'm angry, uh, you dropped a brick on my foot, I'm angry. Uh, the un- unmet demand is don't drop a brick on my foot. But, uh, right, right. That's helpful. Um, you you had mentioned that you, you we just finished talking about um, anger, the you know, lifting anger then can convert to compassion. Right. But um, what about the fact that an angry um, expression is also a means of control? So let's say, for by way of example, that you know some family member comes home frustrated and kicks the dog, uh-huh. um, and gets a, a kind of attention that then tells everybody, you know, that's a, that's a message to everybody that they need to back off and um, and act the way that person is demonstrating by way of control to act. So if we, we, we were to be compassionate and say, oh, you know, I'm so, you know, it's too bad he had to kick the dog. He must feel really frustrated. Uh, we also gave into a control, didn't we? Well, uh, we we actually have a story about the husband coming home and he's had a terrible day at the office. And he can do two things. He can uh, go and turn on the football game, tell everybody, stay out of here, leave me alone. Or he can say, like to his wife, um, I tell you what, if you'll give me a back rub, I'll tell you all about the terrible day I had. So, you know, the question is, which is going to make the better marriage? Does that help? Well, it doesn't answer or doesn't respond to my point about anger being a form of control. So that well, if, of course, when one reacts, when one re, well, well, when one backs off from an angry person instead of confronting the anger in a person, it. it I mean, there's no room for compassion there. Oh, oh, sure there is. Uh, Sure there is. Uh, We described the Ubuntu process that occurred in South Africa after the fall of apartheid, uh, in which the people whose relatives were murdered in grotesque ways um, were allowed to confront the people... um, 
who had done it. They, these are the people that would confess, yes, I, I burned your son to death. They were allowed to confront them. And that dissipated uh, a great deal of anger. But obviously I and uh, other people uh, who do anger uh, think that they uh, get to control the scene by anger, and indeed you might. But then there's that whole chapter in the book on the price of anger. Uh, a friend of mine. Well, that's was, the that's the uh, you know one of the one of the sources of domestic violence. Of course, is the control factor. Right, but again, where there's actual violence, even breaking dishes or hitting the spouse, uh, that's not something that dealt with in this book. Uh, it's beyond it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Other questions? I just note that Sylvia Clute is our next um, speaker in uh, on the uh, in two weeks, and uh, her expertise is in the area of restorative justice. So it's a nice bridge, Len, that you would uh, actually mention uh, the process in South Africa, which was uh, a restore the Truth and Reconciliation Project was a restorative justice type project. Uh huh. And by the way, Sylvia happens to be with us this evening in the circle. So thank you, Sylvia, for being here. Okay, are we finished? Well, is, does anybody else have a question? We can go ahead and wrap up. Uh, yeah, we have Linda, who is also going to be our speaker in a few weeks. Okay. Let's... Uh, hi. Yes. Man, um I was I was just wanting to follow up on Nancy's question because I heard her express something that I also held as a question and I'm not sure that it really got answered. I heard a concern expressed that if we turn our anger into compassion and don't confront behaviors, are we submitting to those behaviors? I guess that was more the question. Well, uh if you turn anger into compassion, generally what occurs is a dialogue about the problem. Um, and not always. Uh, some people are so wedded to their anger it doesn't help. And uh, maybe you should try to avoid them. But you don't approve of the conduct by turning it into compassion. What, what you do is you let that person know that there's an alternative, a way to deal with the problem. It's a really good question, uh, you know, and uh, maybe it's something that we should have dealt with in the book. One of the things that we ask uh, in the book is who are the people that you admire the most? And I think if you look at Gandhi and Nelson Mandela and Martin Luther King and so on and so forth, um, you don't have really angry people on the list. Um, so uh, there may be some exceptions, of course, but um, that's, yeah, you, you put your finger on the cow in the parking lot uh, there's a lot of resistance to saying that you should be compassionate with the young man 
because you either want to teach him a lesson um, or punish him uh, some way. And you don't change a person that way. Uh, they, they're not going to respond. If you, uh, the, the best solution I heard from somebody was after he trundles off to the parking lot, you take your lipstick and you write uh, something on the uh, windshield like asshole. And so there are two possibilities that occur. One, he'll come back and he'll say, oh, my God, I have sinned against a human being, and they've taken the trouble to point this out to me, and I will never do it again. Or he will say, son of a bitch, why are they always doing this to me? Drive home, uh, peeking around the message on his windshield, getting angry and angrier. And when he comes home, um, he yells at his wife and the children, and uh, somebody said before, kicks the dog. And so do you want to be responsible for that? Thank you. Okay. Uh, but don't be afraid of being compassionate. You're not, you're not going to do the kind of damage uh, that you would do by meeting anger with anger. Agreed. Okay. Lynn, um, Molly here. I know we have other questions and hands up, but just on, on the tail of that note, does compassion um, bring a sense of under, uh, Does it? Let me back up for a second. When we're angry at that person who pulls into our parking space, if we have a sense of consciousness, and understanding that perhaps something motivated that anger, um, can that bring us into the capacity to understand uh, better our own reactions, and not only that, to see the common humanity that we all share? The, the, the answer is yes, but one of the really dangerous things is thinking we know the other person's motive. Most of the time when somebody pulls some anger on us, it's not about us. We're, we're a stage prop in the drama they're acting out in their mind. And all you can do <coughs> uh, with compassion is keep anger from hurting you. Uh, one of the things on our emergency anger card in the back of the book is the first person hurt by your anger is you. And so... You may not be able to fathom what motivated the guy, but one thing I can tell you about for sure is if you get angry and act out the anger by keying his car, you may be the one that gets arrested or something like that. And um, e even if you get away with it, you'll wake up three in the morning still angry. So that's part of the price of anger. You're just basically better off without anger. Long time ago, well before the Dalai Lama, somebody told me, never be angry unless you're not. There are occasions uh, when a showing of anger is needed to uh, get your point across. But if you're really angry, don't do it. This would be feigned anger. But very rare occasion that that would be appropriate. Well, thank you, Lynn. And Kim, I think we have a, another hand up in Lee. 
Yeah, I just wanted to ask if um, you include in your book practices that you can use to turn your anger into compassion. Because in the moment, I'm just imagining it would be very difficult. But I want I want to learn those practices. And I heard you mention meditation, which as one, but I'm wondering if there's other practices as well. Well, there is a chapter on transforming anger into compassion. And okay. it talks about how you do it. Uh, one of the techniques uh, is that you become the other person. Okay. Um, I had my uh, wallet taken by a pickpocket. And, you know, my first response was anger. Then I became him, uh, thinking uh, that here he was, cold and uh, maybe needing a fix, and there's this well-dressed dude that's probably got more money than he knows what to do with. And, mm-hmm. uh, that That's one of the techniques, and mm-hmm. uh, we talk about different things like that. And I, I describe the process that I went through in overcoming my anger toward whoever it was that took my wallet. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, the book, incidentally, is sort of an autobiography of how I overcame anger. Uh, the Buddha said that he has never preached a day in his life. He doesn't teach anyone anything. He merely shares with them how he became enlightened. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I hope that that's what's happening in my book. Thank, Thank you. Thank you everybody and uh, we're going to go ahead and and end for the evening so if you have any other questions um, we um, can take care of those on the Facebook page uh, among us or uh, Lynn how do people get in touch with you if um, if they want to learn more about you or book you for a workshop Uh, Lynn at transforminganger.com I do a three hour workshop uh, done at Around the country, and, and it's always L-E-N. well received. Len, short for Leonard, at transforminganger.com. That's great. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Well, and, I, uh, I hope, hope it went well. I, I I think so. Okay. And um, we are off from our regular call. We may send you a notice about a special call on uh, next Monday. So watch for your watch your email. And um, then on the 23rd, we're going to be here with Sylvia Clute um, and at, back at our regular time of 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. Okay, fact, well, um, I'm signing off now. I've got to go meditate. All right, Lynn. <laughs> Thanks so much. Uh, thank you so much, Lynn. And, yeah, and, okay. and just uh, breaking news, Kim, we do have a confirmation from James O.D. for next Monday, um, so we, we can send out an email to everyone about that. Okay? I'm hanging up, guys. All right, thank okay. you. Bye bye. So um next week we'll we'll be sending you an email about a special call with James and otherwise our regular call will be with Sylvia Clute on the twenty third. Thanks everybody. Thanks and good night everyone.